trajectory and uh, I'll set it up like this. In 2014, I got to go to the Sugar Bowl because OU was playing Alabama and it was a really bad matchup. It was one of those where we were like, why, why did we get this matchup? And we, we were expecting to lose by like 40. It was the year, I think it was the year, if you remember this, if you're a college football fan, there was the kick six where Alabama lost to Auburn because this guy ran this kickback. And so Alabama was a national championship contender that year. We were not. And somehow we played in the Sugar Bowl. And um, I, I remember being like, that was the last game I'm going to want to go to because I know it's going to happen. And then sure enough, my mom got me a Christmas gift and it was tickets to the Sugar Bowl. It was actually in the Sugar thing, which is in my office, I think. It's kind of cool. But um, I went to the Sugar Bowl with my dad, went to New Orleans, and we're fully expecting, like, we're going to lose by 40. It's going to be terrible. And I think it was, like, one of the first drives of the game, Alabama just marches down the field on our awful defense. And I was just like, this is going to be a long day. Why are we here? Why are we coming to New Orleans? And then we bounced back, and we scored. And I was like, what? What just happened? And um, as the game went on, we, like, dominated them. And I was like, what is happening? And I remember at halftime, we were uh, pretty big at halftime. And I mean, I was just, I was stunned. And uh, they tried to give it up and somehow we won. We beat Nick Saban in Alabama. And it was the, probably the most fun OU game I've ever been to. And what happened though, this is what I want to talk about, is after the game, what happened was really interesting. And so we leave, we're on the streets of New Orleans after the game. And there are Alabama fans and then there are OU fans. And in the streets, what happened is two radically different reactions. And I mean radically different reactions. Because Alabama fans aren't used to losing, so they don't lose very well. And so I am walking in the street, and there is a woman. And I'm, I'm pretty sure fairly sober. And she is weeping. And I mean weeping. I mean, you would think she just, like, lost a loved one. I mean, she is crying and just devastated that Alabama has lost. And I... Frankly, because I'm a sinner and delighting in this. I enjoyed it. I thought it was great. And on the other end, OU fans are just celebrating. I mean, they are hugging. I'm hugging strangers. I think I kissed uh, someone random on the cheek. I mean, I am. It's just like a full-on celebration, and it is physical. And I'll just leave it at that. And for Alabama, I mean, they're weeping. They're crying. And I'm just thinking, I was like, think about if you were a stranger. And you have no idea what just happened. And you're like, you're watching this take place. You're like, who's the dude in the OU shirt that's like hugging people and all, and all that? And then why is that girl weeping? Like, what is happening here? Okay, this is a picture, by the way, from the, from the game. I think I have one. Look at that guy. Just, I'm so shocked. I'm like, what is happening? And so I'm just stunned. And so I, I tell you that because it's really interesting when there's two opposite reactions to the exact same event. Like seeing two completely opposite reactions to the same event, it's a weird thing. And if you don't know the context, it's confusing. And I tell you this because Jesus is actually the same way. One of the things you will see repeatedly in the Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is that people respond in two very different ways to Jesus. They either hate him and want to see him killed, or they embrace him and celebrate him and give him everything. There's very rarely something in the middle. And so it's an interesting thing. It really begs this question. We go, why is that the case? Why would you either want to kill him or would you crown him? Like those are really your two options. Nothing in the middle really makes sense. This is how C.S. Lewis says it. And I, I think I have it so you can see. He says that 
If you really look at the things that Jesus says about himself, he's like, these are your options. He says, you can either shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. And so what he's saying is that if you really, and I want you to hear this this morning, if you really hear what Jesus says about himself in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the only reaction that really makes sense is to either call him a fool, say, that's crazy. It's to spit at him and kill him in, in anger and be like, that's, that is horrible. I don't want any of that. Or it's to give him everything and to call him Lord. Nothing else really makes sense. However, where we live in Dallas, a lot of us that would call ourselves Christians actually live kind of in this middle ground kind of in this unaffected territory. And so what I'm going to do today is I'm going to show you why that is. Okay, I'm going to show you what, are, what is Jesus actually saying that is so polarizing to people, that causes such different reactions, and then why are we in a context where sometimes we don't necessarily see that? We kind of see people living in the middle. Does that make sense so far? And so we're in part three of the series that we're calling Trajectory. And if you don't remember what we're really saying is that our life, whether we are aware of it or not, the trajectory of our lives is shaped by the questions that we ask and how we answer those questions. And so high school and the world that we live in teaches us to ask a certain set of questions. I'm not saying they're bad questions, but as you start the school year, there is, are so many questions, there's so much noise that it can overload our brains with distractions and it can actually prevent us from asking the best and most important questions. And so if you look at the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John again, you will see that Jesus often asks people questions. These are searching questions. These are life-changing questions. These are questions that change people's trajectory. It changes where they're headed. And the same thing is true for us. And so week one, if you remember, we looked at the first question Jesus asked his disciples. And that question was in John 138. And the question is, what are you seeking? And I said, that's the most fundamental question that a disciple of Jesus can ask. It's all about satisfaction. What are you seeking to satisfy you, to answer the big questions that you have of life? Last week, we looked at what, what I called the most important question. Who do you say that I am is what Jesus asked and said, who you say that he is, is the most important question. And that question is all about identity. It's all about who he is, which informs who you are which is the, the biggest question in high school. This question today, I'm going to say it's the most revealing question. This question is going to reveal what's going on in people's hearts. And for me, it's all about trust. This question is revealing and it's all about trust. And so we're going to be in John 6, verse 60. Yes, verse 60. We're going deep to 71. It's a long chapter. And so what I want to do today is this. A little different than how we've done it. I'm just going to read the whole interaction. I'm going to tell you when he asks the question. That's the most revealing question. And then I'm going to tell you the three things we're going to talk about. And we're just going to walk through it for a few minutes. Okay. And this is what I want you to do. This is a Bible reading tip for you. This is free. It's to read imaginatively. What I mean by that is when you read a story, put yourself in the story. Like think about it. You're actually there. You're by the sea. You're where the dirt is. You're where the wind is blowing. You're watching these interactions take place. Like actually put yourself like you're there watching it. And I want you to see what happens. I'm just going to read this and then I'll, I'll tell you where we're going. Okay. When many of his disciples heard it, 
They said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? So apparently he says something that, that ticks everybody off. We've got to figure out what that is. But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit in life. But there are some of you who do not believe. And so that means there are some people that are with him that are his disciples that don't actually believe in him. Okay? Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. It's one of the saddest verses in the Bible. So at this moment, a lot of his so-called disciples, they turn around and they leave him. So picture if you were there and this is going on. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? That's the question. That's the most revealing question. It's the question we're going to look at today. He looks at them. And that's, that's interesting because he doesn't beg them. He's like, oh my gosh, no, come back. He doesn't do that. All right, will you all please stay with me? He doesn't do that. He looks at him and says, hey, do you guys want to go away too like them? And that's the question we're going to talk about. Do you want to go away as well? And so Simon Peter answered him. He said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, is going to betray him. And so these are the three things I want to talk about. Okay, what, what did Jesus say? He clearly said something that made everybody mad. And so we've got to figure that out. What did he say to begin with? And then there's a group of people who left him. And so I want to ask this question, why do people leave? Why, do, why did they leave? Why do people in high school leave Jesus? Why do people in high school drift from Jesus? And then number three, why do people stay? Why do people stay with Jesus even if everybody else is leaving? Does this sound like it's relevant for high school today? Because I think it is. And so first question is, what did Jesus say? What ticked him off so badly? In verse 60, they said, after he finished saying it, this is a hard saying. So what did he say? That's what we have to figure out. Okay, we just walked in to the middle of the movie. I don't know if you've ever done that. If you walk in, you're like, I don't really know what's happening because I've missed all of it. That's where we are. We've just walked in. So what's happening is there's this conversation that's going on that they've been having. Okay, does anyone know the event that this happens right after? It's the feeding of the 5,000. So Jesus has just done the only miracle other than the resurrection that's repeated in all four gospels, the feeding of the 5,000. He takes the, the fish and the loaves, he multiplies them and they feast and so it's way more than 5,000 because that just refers to the men. And so the people are like, we want to go with that guy. Like that guy does really cool things. I want to go hang out with the guy that can multiply food. And so this is what Jesus says. We're just going to look at some key highlights to this conversation that sets everybody off. So this is verse 26. Jesus answers them. They find him and he says, truly I say to you, you're seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. So what he's saying is, hey, you're not really seeking me because you believe in me, you're seeking me because I did some cool stuff and you want, you just want to get to enjoy the thrill of these things that I have done. So he says, don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures the eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. So he's, he's critiquing them. Says, um, then they said to him, what must we be doing? What must we do to be doing the works of God? So Jesus says, this is the work of God. This is a weird quote, by the way. This is the work. This is what you have to do. You believe in him who he has sent. So in other words, you don't do anything. You just believe in what Jesus has done. 
And so that is, that's the, the first part of this conversation. And he goes on, he uses this illustration. He's like, hey, you saw that food, that bread that I just give you. This is what he says in verse 35 to these people. He says, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you, you've seen me and yet you do not believe. So he's like, hey, I'm the one that multiplied this bread because I'm teaching you a point. I'm the bread of life and yet you still don't believe in me. And then in verse 53, he gets a little weird and this is what he says. He says, Jesus said, I'm truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh, what, of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. That's kind of that's creepy and weird. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I'll raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. So there it's like, what? Like, you didn't, cannibalism? It's not what he's talking about. All in scripture, one of the things you'll see is this eating, drinking language. It's a metaphor for faith. Okay, Psalm 34, taste and see that the Lord is good. It's deep sensory language to describe having faith in him. Just like with food, you don't just say, I'm going to eat that. That will fill me. No, you eat it. You put it in your mouth. You chew it. You swallow it. And it, you're, you're taking and appropriating the nutrients. And so that's, it's a metaphor for faith. And so I just want you to think about what he says. This is a huge thing to say when he says, I am the bread of life. He is, we're, we're back to where we were in Exodus in the Bible where God has been feeding his people every day with man. This is bread from heaven. This is God's provision to keep them alive. This sustained them. And so Jesus comes on the scene and he's like, hey, I'm, I'm the true bread that God has given you. So think about that. That was a staple of their diet. It's what they depended on every single day. It's what nourished them. It's what strengthened them. It's what gave life to them. It's what satisfied their cravings. And Jesus is saying, I am all of those things for you spiritually. That's a huge claim. He's saying, I satisfy all of your spiritual longings. I will satisfy you and I will sustain you. Because his body was broken like bread on the cross, we can be satisfied forever. And so feeding on him, that's faith. It's believing in Jesus. That's why when he says the work that you do is to believe in him. It's to believe and receive what he's freely giving to you. So what's, what did he say? First question. It's really simple. He's just preaching the gospel to them. That's all he's doing. He's taking the circumstance of the feeding of the 5,000 to use it as an illustration. He's simply preaching the gospel. And this is so different than what you're hearing every single day in the culture. It's so different than a lot of messages that you're hearing every single day. And why is that? Because most messages that we hear today will give you you. Like they will say, you need to do more. You need to work harder. Here's how you can be the best version of yourself. Here's how you can achieve happiness. Here's how you can earn it. Here's how you can build your resume. You, you, and you. And so the messages that we hear today give us us. And that doesn't help. That doesn't change. That leaves us hungry. But Jesus' teaching gives you himself. And so Jeff Hatton, who's Pete Hatton's brother in a sermon he gave last week, he says, teaching that underwhelms you gives you you. But teaching that astonishes you and changes you and feeds you gives you Jesus. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's not giving you you. He's giving you him. And so here's the question. Why does that make them so mad? That takes us to the next point. Why do people leave? And so I don't know if you've ever seen a friend. Maybe it's been you. 
just like randomly get mad and you're like, what just happened? Like, why is he so mad right now? Why is she so mad right now? Um, when I was playing high school football, there was a coach. He's actually still there. I'm not going to say his name. But he one day walked into the equipment room, and I was in there with one of my friends. We were just talking and hanging out. And out of nowhere, he just goes, ah! And just punches the table and walks out. And we were like, what was that? Like, why is he so mad? And then I made a sarcastic comment about it, and I got in trouble. And still to this day, I have no idea what he, why he was mad. That kind of hurt, by the way, when I did that. I'm stronger than I I remembered. And so Hammer knows what I'm talking about. He saw me at the gym this week. You know what I'm saying? And so um, that's kind of what this is like. You're like, wait, why are they so mad though? He just like gave him the best gift ever. He's, he's like, hey, I'm, I'm the bread of life. I'll satisfy you. Like I'm dying on a cross so you can be satisfied forever. There's nothing you have to do. Just receive it. Why is that making them so mad? Like that's confusing. Okay, in verse 60, if you look at it, it says, this is a hard saying. Hard does not mean hard to understand. They knew what he was saying. Hard in this context means hard to accept. And so why was it a hard teaching? It doesn't seem like an offensive thing. Well, a few years ago, I had this tooth problem, and I didn't really know what it was. It's kind of bothering me a little bit. I had this little crack on, and I was like, man, I'm just going to – I delayed it for a long time. I was like, I'm just going to go to the dentist and just kind of see what it is because it's kind of bothering me a little bit. And I went in, and it turns out it was like this massive issue. And they had to remove the tooth, and they had to – give me the shot and the gum and all that stuff. And it, it was brutal. And so what ended up happening is the diagnosis was way worse than I thought it was. And that's what Jesus is doing with these people. He is showing them that the diagnosis is way worse than they even think it is. That their need, their desperation for him is so much deeper than they actually think it is. Why? Because when he says, I'm the bread of life, think about what bread really is in that context. Your bread in life, spiritually, is what keeps you going. Your bread is what gives you energy. Your bread is why you wake up in the morning. It's your center. We talk about this every week because it's so easy in our world to find other sources of satisfaction and sustaining than Jesus. And so that can be so many different things in high school. Things that we go to that we say, this is my bread. This is what's going to satisfy me. What Jesus is saying to them and to us is I have to be that thing in your life. I've got to be that thing in your life. If I'm not that thing in your life, in the end, it's not going to nourish you. It's not going to satisfy you. And you're going to go starving. And this, as it were, is what they are choking on, if you will. They can't, they can't do it. It's making them choke because they're like, no, no, no. We don't want him to be our source of bread. And so I don't know if you've ever choked on something. I was like, this happened like multiple times to me. For some reason, that Qdoba which is the number one burrito place right now, in my opinion, my humble opinion, but my right opinion. And I always choke on lettuce there. I don't know why. I don't chew it enough. And it's a really grotesque sight. And it is, it is loud. It is violent. Have you ever choked on something? That's what they're doing here. They're choking on it. Like, hey, I'm the bread of life. They're chewing it, and they can't get it down. But it's a problem because Jesus is the source, and he's the sustainer of our spiritual life. He is what saves you and we need him every single day to continue to nourish us. And why is that so offensive? Because that goes against human pride. Human pride naturally wants to be independent. Human pride naturally wants to earn something. And so one theology professor's name is Doug Kelly. He has this epic quote and he says, if you want to make people mad, tell them what to do. And so if you've had that out, like your parents are like, you need to do this. You just, just because they told you what to do, you get mad. You know what I'm saying? You're like, I'm not doing that. 
And it's like, I just told you to like go eat or something like cool. But it's because when someone tells you something to do, we don't like it. But then this is what he says. Okay, if you want to make people mad, tell them what to do. But if you want to make people really mad, tell them that there's nothing they can do. There's nothing that they can do to earn it. There's nothing that they can do. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's not telling them what to do. He's telling them that there is nothing they can do. And that completely goes against human pride. See, this is what's so crazy about this. And we need to hear this today. These are people that would be at church today. These are not people that are like way away from Jesus. No, no. These are people that call themselves disciples. These are people that would dress up and show up at PCPC on Sunday mornings. These are people that look like they're Christians, but they don't really believe in Jesus. And that, this hard saying reveals it. He is showing them that deep down, they may call themselves Christians on the outside. They might even look like a little bit, but on the inside, they have not trusted in Jesus. Why is that? Okay, how do we know that? Because they left. They leave him. When everything is revealed, they're like, we can't do that. And so what you see here is these are people, they want the show, but they don't want the Savior. They want the show, but they don't want the Savior. They want the thrills of Christianity, but they don't want Jesus to be their Savior. They don't want Him to be the Lord of their life. And so for them, God is a business partner. He's not a Savior. He's a business partner. Then kind of give them what, give them what they want, make them feel a little bit good, but He is not their Savior. And so the overwhelming evidence that's before them after this miracle is that Jesus is who He says He is. So C.S. Lewis is saying, but they would not believe it because their hearts were so hard. Okay, He's not like David freaking Blaine, like working some magic tricks and like tricking him. No, it's like he, he actually did this stuff. This is not an evidence issue. This is a heart issue. This is a pride issue. And so over and over and over again, Jesus teaches throughout the Gospels how dangerous false Christianity is. False Christianity is under the disguise of real Christianity. It's like a disease that works underneath the surface that you may not be able to see on the outside, but in the end, it kills you. And so what he's showing is that it's not about being a good person. It's about trusting in Jesus. And so for a lot of us here today, we need to think about this. Are we just kind of under the veneer of Christianity, but deep in our hearts, we haven't actually trusted in Jesus. So I want to ask this question. Why do people leave? Why do people in high school leave? Let me give you a few reasons before we make the last point here. Um, this is, it. this is informed based on this passage and other scripture. And I just want you to, to think about this. Why do people sometimes leave Jesus over time? Maybe they're excited about him for a little bit, but over time it's revealed that no, they're not really going to follow him. Well, one is that they're not really Christians. And you see this in the parable of the sower, that some people will receive the word, they'll be excited about it, but they really don't have the Holy Spirit. And so over the long run, they, they fall away from him. The second one, this is one that I hear all the time, is the camp high wears off. So you come back from camp, you come back from the Florida trip or whatever, and all of a sudden, like, the feelings aren't there anymore. And the reality is that we live in a culture that makes way too much of our feelings. Okay, one, a man once told me that feelings are real, but they're not always reliable. And so God cares about our feelings. He wants us to be affectionate towards Him, but we have to understand that in a broken world where we're sinners, you're not always going to feel it. And so we have to cling to things that are true, even if we're not feeling it. But sometimes we let our feelings dictate what we do. The third one is, I would say, crowd power. This is called mob psychology. This is what you see with them, is that sometimes the crowd can get you to do things without you even thinking about it. Like you're not even evaluating it 
We just do something. And so I, I ran into a guy yesterday at Chick-fil-A who works there. And he was asking me what I was working on. And I was telling him about it. And he was like, man, that's my story. Is that for me, that he said, I got around a group of friends. And this is his words, which I thought was so cool. He said this. He goes, man, they pointed me towards artificial joys. That's what he said. They're pointing me to artificial joys, things that weren't really going to give me joy. And it always left me empty. But I wasn't thinking about it. I just kind of drifted with them. The, the fourth one is a, a natural resistance to Jesus' words. This is what we see in the story. Is the human heart can have this natural resistance to being told, man, there's nothing we can do. Jesus has to do everything. The fifth one is, is that we might be Christians, but deep down we believe there's something else we need that will make us happier. Like in the end, Jesus isn't enough. He's not the bread of life. And so yeah, I'm a Christian, but I, I have to have this other thing for my identity and for my joy. The sixth one is that we forget how much we need Jesus. We don't realize how desperate we are for Jesus. And if that's you, what that can often manifest itself as is looking down on other people that that may sin or struggle or whatever. And the seventh one is we forget that the gospel is all about good news. We forget that this is the good news of what Jesus has done. We think Christianity is about what we do. And so I want you to think if any of these relate to you. Um, third question is this. I'm going to end with this. This is going to be quicker. Is Why do people stay? We see why people leave. We see it in the story. But why do people stay? Well, in Peter's answer in verse 68, this is going to give us a few elements. When Jesus asks this question, do you want to go away as well? And he's asking us the same question today. This is how Peter answers it. We see a few things in his answer. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And so let me just break this down. I'm going to pray and and end it for us here. Um, this is the first element that we see. What, why do people stay? What really is real Christianity, not false Christianity? I have a friend who is a, uh, he's a contractor, and he's, he's hilarious. And he one day, he like works on houses and stuff like that. So one, he tells this just ridiculous story. And every time he tells it, I die, I cry. Because it's so funny. I can't do it justice, I'm not going to. And every time he does it, it like gets crazier. I'm like, did that, we just exaggerated this. But he's at Home Depot one day. And he, see, he looks around, he's got to get some lumber or whatever, and he sees some other uh, people, other contractors, and he's like, man, i got to prove to them, like, I, I can do this, like, I'm a contractor, you know. So he says to himself, and this is literally what he says, he goes, i got this dog, I can still do this dog. And he actually says it more colorfully than that, but I can't say that right here. And he, so he, gets, he sees his truck, he's like, I'm just going to show these people I've got this dog. And he goes and he hurdles his truck, because he wants to, like, jump over it, you know, to go get the wood, just to be like... I'm a contractor. Like, I can do this. And he catches his foot on the truck, and he just eats it. Like, hardcore. Like, ugly falls. And he gets on the ground, and he says, he says to himself, I don't got this dog. Okay? And I tell you that because what Christianity is basically saying is you don't got this. But Jesus does have it. And so who else can you go to? That's what what Peter's saying. He says, where else are we going to go? Because he understands his humility. And what I'm going to call this is a healthy helplessness. A healthy helplessness. He knows. Like, where else are we going to go? Jesus has everything. We don't have it. And so the first element of people who really stay, real Christian, is people who understand their helplessness. Where else are we going to go? I don't have this. But Jesus does. Your whole life, it's so easy to answer things with, I got this. I can do this. You know, people giving you advice. No, I can do this. I can handle this. It's ingrained in us. It's our natural reaction to everything. And Christianity goes against it. Say, no, you don't have this. 
But Jesus does. And that takes you to the second thing. Bill, I think I have this on a slide, the three things here. The second thing is this. You embrace, you, it's a healthy helplessness, and you embrace Jesus' everything. He says, you have the words of eternal life. And so he's embracing, no, no, you are the bread of life. Everything that we're looking for is in Jesus. This is 100% grace. And so he's like, I'm not trusting in my goodness. I'm not trusting in my commitment. I'm not even trusting in my feelings anymore. I'm going to trust fully in what Jesus has done for me. And so people who stay, real Christianity understands this. And then the third one, and I want to, I want to end with this. This is one I'm going to add is this. It's looking at the one who stayed for you on the cross and he stays with you now. So I want you to think about this. If you were to flip the question, okay, and you were to ask Jesus, hey, Jesus, if other people reject me, if I struggle, other people don't want to be around me, do you want to go away as well? If you were to ask him that question about you, do you want to go away? How would he answer that question? This is how Charles Spurgeon answers it. This is one of my favorite quotes of all time. He says, Jesus Christ was up on the cross. He was nailed. He was bleeding. He was dying. He was looking down on the people betraying him, forsaking him, denying him. And in the greatest act of love in the history of the universe, he stayed. And I just want you to think about that. That when everything was against him and he could have left you, he stayed. He experienced full rejection on the cross. And so that when he looks at you and he sees all of your sin, he doesn't even flinch. He will never leave you. And when you understand that, you won't leave him. See, what you see in this story is you see a group of people that are seeking rest for their souls, but they're going to do it through their performance and what they're doing. And when Jesus says it's not going to work, they leave him. Then you see 11 people and they realize we don't have it, but he does. And he stays with us even when we don't deserve it because he loves us. We're going to stay with them. Only Jesus has enough resources to forgive your sin, satisfy your soul. And when you've had your fill, there's always some left over. Only he can comfort you when the storms of life hit because nothing can separate you from his love. Nobody else can say that. And so if you feel yourself drifting today, if you feel yourself going with the crowd today, if you feel yourself, man, you're like, man, I don't really feel this love for Jesus today. I don't really feel excited about it. Look at how he reclaims people. Look at what he does. He's not mad at him. He doesn't yell at him. He asks them this loving question. Do you want to go his way as well? Because when he does that, it causes them to reflect on everything that he's done for you. And so will you ask yourself this question today? Do you want to go away as well? Because if you really hear that question, it will make you think about everything that he's done for you. That in the greatest act of love in the history of the universe, he stayed and he's going to stay with you to the end. When you realize that, you will stay also because where else are you going to go? God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he asks us hard questions. But these questions are so loving that remind us, Lord, of everything that Jesus is and has done for us. Lord, we just praise you that you are the bread of life. And so we look at you and we realize that we confess we do not always stay with you. We are prone to wonder. But Lord, your goodness and your mercy follow us all of the days of our lives. That you come and seek us even when we run 
from you. And so, God, I just pray we would look at the cross and we would see that in the greatest act of love in the history of the universe, that Jesus stayed and he stays with us now. So, Lord, I pray we would just soak that up until we stay with him. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.